0: From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. Hey, Siri. Okay, Google. Hey Alexa, if I told you 15 years ago that we would all be talking to our electronic devices, would you have believed me? Would you have thought that I needed some therapy? Regardless of your answer, it is clear that speech recognition has become normal. We now talk to our devices in order to call a friend, to find directions to a local restaurant, and even when we were really bored, to tell us a joke.
1: What do you call a shoe made out of a banana? A slipper.
0: <laughs> on today's episode, we talk with Igor Yablakov, a pioneer in voice recognition. Igor led the team at IBM that created the first ever speech-enabled web browser. And then he went on to found the company Yap, which was sold to Amazon in 2011 and became the basis for Amazon Alexa. Now Igor is the CEO of another startup, Pryon, which seeks to bring the power of voice recognition to the enterprise level. Instead of having to manually sort through emails, databases, and documents at work, Prion enables you to simply ask your device for the relevant information. And then the machine does the discovery and surfacing for you. But Igor is more than a technologist. He's also a self-described artist and creative. And this episode is about much more than just speech recognition. It's about the power of adaptation, non-linearity, and believing in your own distinctive journey as you pursue innovation. As Igor said during our interview, there's not a recipe. You can try and hit some of the basics, but each one of us has this unique fingerprint and path. It's really just about doing the hard work every day. That's what's on tap today. Enjoy Igor, welcome, and thank you for joining me today on Innovators on Tap.
1: Uh, Great being uh, here with you, Chuck.
0: Well, you know, you are one of the leaders in the field of AI and speech recognition, but I understand that you spent your early years growing up on a tiny Greek island with no television or radio before you eventually came to the U.S. And so I'm curious, how does someone who grew up in kind of the non-technology world become so ingrained in these really cutting-edge things that are driving our future? Yeah,
1: so both my parents are artists. And and so I I would say approaching it more from a creative perspective, there's nothing more thrilling than natural language, right? If you think about, you know, we all, you know, tell stories to one another. We learn how to speak uh, with one another before we learn how to uh, read and write. And so for me, it was the most organic way that, that you can transfer knowledge, uh, you know, to another human. And that's why I think I've always been attracted to AI as the intersection of, of art and science.
0: So let me, let me follow up on that. So you come to the U S you don't have a lot of experience with technology right before you get here, how do all of a sudden you make this shift and say, Hey, I'm going to get into computers. what was that moment like?
1: Well, part of it is, I I think, um, you know, a typical immigrant upbringing is what? You show up in a new land, you know, and and I know when I landed in New York and I started looking at all these tall buildings uh, around me, um, holy smokes, it looked like the Blade Runner, right? You know, to come from something where it's literally idyllic, your alarm clock is an orange sun, there's a dolphin swimming in front of your, uh, in front of your quote unquote home, there's no electricity, there's no... uh, Uh, running water uh and and the like i mean you literally have to bring it on a pail from the village center um and to come here and look at at these uh grandiose skyscrapers was just out of the world it's it's like landing in in science fiction and not speaking english right so speaking greek i show up and and guess what um you know somebody plops a, a tandy color computer in front of me uh and that was just fascinating to me and and so I I would think many people who don't know a language yet by default end up falling towards mathematics.
0: So you get your first job out of college at IBM, and I think you go on there to lead a team that actually invents the first ever speech-enabled web browser. I'm curious, in those early days, because I think most people who are familiar today with Siri and Alexa can't imagine this. What was the problem? What was the initial biggest challenge you were trying to overcome in those early days? You
1: you have to think of IBM at that time. In pervasive computing uh, group, it was the island of misfit toys. All the advanced stuff was there. The AI stuff before was AI. The cloud stuff before, it it was a big deal. All the mobile stuff, RFIDs, right, speech recognition, machine translation, all of them were kind of fenced in as this as this thing that was going to be exploding and creating the, you know, the 21st century world. And so while I was there, we were looking at, all right, what are these advanced technologies? What do they mean to set up boxes? What do they mean to gaming devices? What do they mean to mobiles? What do they mean to, you know, intelligence agencies? What do they mean to 3G? And so we were, you know, doing these various combinations where I think, you know, in 2005, I was quoted, I don't remember if it was popular mechanics or popular uh, science that, Hey, I don't even know why we need a remote control anymore. You know, I I should be able to just yell at my television and say, turn on CNN, find me a documentary on white lions, for God's sakes. And so what I was personally frustrated is that stuff wasn't wasn't being birthed into um, the, the commercial sphere fast enough. Now, the plot gets thicker. So. As, there I am, a young product line manager, right? the internal CEO of, 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 uh, of pieces of this group that's working on this advanced stuff. And so we had an idea. We're like, hey, we're doing this joint work with Sony and Toshiba on the PlayStation 3 cell architecture. Why don't we put uh, embedded voice on that device? And everybody started laughing. They're like, nobody wants a microphone in their house right? So they nixed that one year. And then the following year, we're like, holy smokes, we can take this this recognizer, but let's put it and host it, right? We didn't know to call it cloud, right? Let's make cloud-based speech recognition in order to allow the games developers to have more CPU budget for their things. Everybody started laughing again. They're like, nobody's going to allow uh, their consumers' voices to be far away, right? Stored some, somewhere else. And then by the third year, um, you know, we went to them and said, holy smokes, um, if we do it this way, we can answer any question that any human has in one second. And by then, everybody's like, okay, these people are probably uh, using the same peyote, the QAnon common does. Um, <laughs> and it, it, it wasn't going to fly. So in my frustration, I resigned at that point and, and stood up the the last startup.
0: A lot of the things we talk about on this show are how big companies can develop technology, but they struggle to innovate, which is my term for turning that idea into something commercialized, right? Why do you think IBM struggled to let you guys take it and push forward? Do you think it was, was it structural? Was it cultural? Was it mindset? What do you think?
1: you know i think bezos said it well right which is you know us as entrepreneurs we go out we start a company we pitch 100 vcs 99 say uh, uh, no one says yes and we're off to the races there 99 people can say yes right this is Be- uh, you know bezos saying and then one person blocks it right even though the consensus is to proceed the other thing is you know look there's there's a major uh, bank right that's headquartered in, in in north carolina they have um uh, essentially the equivalent of investment review board for ai initiatives and they only greenly green light things that are five million dollar business case and above right so all the four three to one million dollar business case impact stuff they don't get green light because they don't have enough data scientists to go around you and i well know that Um, you know, the stuff that's really groundbreaking at times, you don't know how big of an impact you have, all you have is your spidey sense that tells you, hey, this is going to be big. I don't know exactly, you know, how big. And I remember back then, you know, getting the impression that IBM only wanted to greenlight based on the scarcity of resources, things that they felt like uh, could contribute $100 million plus in revenue over the course of the next 12 months you know, to assign critical, you know, development uh, resources. And I could never prove that. Now, in hindsight, hey, look, you know, we just proved that it has, you know, 10 plus billion dollars of impact, but, you know, you got to take the leap of faith.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Clay Christensen in his book, when he's talking about the innovator's dilemma, mentions that one of the challenges big companies have is these disruptive markets start out as small markets. They're new ideas. And if you always make your decisions on scale and size, you'll never invest in them and they end up coming in and disrupting your business later on. So let's go on to uh, your post IBM career. So you, you leave IBM and you start Yap, which was really all about voice recognition technology, taking this idea that you guys had at IBM and, and deciding to go forward with it. And you develop it and then you sell it to Amazon, I think in 2011 and it, it really becomes the basis for Alexa. Do I have that right? Yeah. So, I'm curious, right? So you have this idea when you spin out, you develop it, and you sell it to Amazon. Today, when you look at Alexa or you interface with it, is it what you envisioned? And if not, how's it different?
1: The way um, it's similar from the standpoint of it being a portal, right? That can answer you know, these the long tail questions that people have in one second. It's different from the standpoint that we didn't envision it as a separate piece of hardware. That, that we thought it would be centered on uh, on a mobile experience or on a desktop or tablet or set top box. So um, I know when uh, you know my former R and D time was assigned. Actually, uh, at least a couple different projects. One was the Fire Phone, and they were super excited about the Fire Phone, thinking that it would overrun the iPhone. And they were uh, infinitely depressed when they were assigned the Amazon Echo because they thought that coffee can looking thing would flop. And the complete opposite thing happened. You know, everybody ended up loving the the coffee can because it sat there. It was non-intrusive. It didn't have cameras. There was an immediacy to it because it, it you could immediately just start talking to it. The number one use case was music, right? Which is something that they stumbled uh, into as well, and it just ended up taking off, especially when they were able to get the you know cost of goods sold down and and start you know you know sh- you know shipping them by the bushels.
0: What's the one non-obvious learning about entrepreneurship and starting a company that you took away from your experience at YAP?
1: Well, uh, what's hilarious is um, you know, when we got started, we wrote a 100-page business plan. In hindsight, the 50 pages that I would have bet my life w- would have, uh, were going to happen, none of that came true. None of that came true. The rational stuff. The 50 pages that looked like I was partaking of peyote, all came true. You know, that I thought I was just adding in there as filler, right? To make it look substantial. And and uh, our first investor and our first board member was a former senior executive at Amazon. He looked down at the hundred pages and he said, you know, we greenlight billion dollar projects you know, <laughs> in, in one fifth of this, this document. So that was the first thing. And then, and then the second thing that was... Scary but thrilling simultaneously, and I have to say it, it's equal parts scary and thrilling, is when I looked backwards, I was looking for the critical path to be like a more efficient entrepreneur. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. Everybody was important. Every customer was important. Every partner was important. Every staff member was important. Every conference we attended uh, was important. Every patent was important. Every every experiment w- was important. I couldn't find um, something that said, "Hey, you know, here's the shortcut to comedy," as, as somebody once asked uh, Gary Shanley. There was no shortcut.
0: So let's talk about your your next venture. So in 2017, you start the latest company called Pryon. Can you give our listeners kind of that quick elevator pitch? What does Pryon do, and how does it differentiate itself in the market from other people trying to do similar things?
1: In all of your respective businesses, you have to believe that you're going to have an AI core in your businesses because you're not going to survive the decade without having an AI core, right? It's going to be a critical part, uh, a part of your digital uh, transformation, and and the ones, um, the companies that are going to survive are going to be knowledge first, and so you need to be able to to essentially combine all the things your machines know and all the things your humans know into one. Uh, You know tidy platform and that's what prime uh, is Simply put I want to build the Alexa for uh, your workplace that's it and I'm going to do that by ingesting all of your uh, unstructured and structured information under a neat and tidy voice or uh, Text interface
0: and that's it So basically I talk to whatever that is my PC or whatever and behind the scenes it's taking all that reams of stuff sitting on whatever connected device I have and synthesizing that and giving me back some logical way to move forward. Is that, do I have the concept right? Yeah. Just,
1: just the perfect answer from, from, um, all the documents, all the emails, all the transcripts, um, all of the websites, you know, all of, all of the things that you could be subscribed to and still, How do you deliver, you know, one second access to the information that people need to know to perform their jobs? And it doesn't matter if they're agents in a help desk, uh, if it's your procurement uh, analysts um, that need to look up RFIs, RFPs, if it's your security folks that need to look something up from threat intelligence, if it's your legal team, your finance team, everybody has um, uh, information that they need to access quickly in order to perform their jobs. And and we're going to be the rallying place for that.
0: I was reading some of the stuff that you've said in some other areas, and uh, I came across a quote that said, when I have a leak, I hire the best plumber. When I have a wiring problem, I hire the best electrician. And in those cases, I understand they're solving a problem that's been solved before. And you're really talking about the need and your respect for experts. But in my experience, when I was at Cree and we were going after innovation, especially something that was really, we hadn't done before. The process and the end result are really not known. You have a direction, but you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. And so in those cases, we oftentimes felt like the experts got in our way. They kind of knew, uh, the term I used to like is the problem with experts is they know what's not possible. How do you manage that tension between someone who's got expertise, but doesn't get in the way of trying something that's beyond their expertise?
1: So you you have to so- deal with the contradiction, right? The the you need experts in order to build credibility, you know, especially if you're working with uh, within enterprise markets. Uh, at the same time, there's a lot of power that comes from naivete. I mean, it, there there just is, right? Um, I, I remember, um, you know, the fellow who became our CTO in this company would, uh, you know, took a reference call once from Avaya, and said. I'm not sure how Igor solved it. I don't. I don't believe that the problem could have been solved. You know, when, when he took a call, and I and I joke with him now. I'm like, David, you you cost me not winning that customer uh, last time. And he's like, I didn't know you actually did it. You know, <laughs> how, how, you know, he's like, How did you do it? I'm like, I had a diverse team. I had biologists. I had artists. I had all you know these these people of these varied backgrounds and they didn't hear you saying that it was it was going to be difficult to solve. <laughs> I just said, "Hey, please solve this." And they're like, "Okay." And they did it. Um, you know, so it it was it was fascinating from that standpoint.
0: Yeah, to quote one of the Cree founders, they said probably one of the most important things they had early on was ignorance. Because if they knew how hard some of the things were going to end up being, they wouldn't even have tried, but because they just thought it was all possible, you went and tried things that frankly our breakthrough was no one else tried them. They just assumed it couldn't be done. And by tr- figuring it out, and don't get me wrong, some of those problems took 10 years to solve, but we got there because they were committed to that. So, you know, you are recognized as a visionary by many of your peers. And, you know, you had this ability to really think about future and what technology is going to do in the future. So I thought we'd get a, your insight on a couple of things about what might happen. And maybe we'll start with kind of an An obvious one. What does voice recognition technology look like in 20 years?
1: Uh, It won't exist. It won't exist Uh, because of two reasons. Either one, you know, you blink and something will happen, right, in terms of, you know, these uh, brain computer uh, interfaces. Um, Or, the recommendations and and uh, and the guesses are going to be so smart based on the computers observing what we need and want at the exact time. So, for instance, you know, um, you know, based on you know personalized medicine and personalized nutrition, the perfect smoothie with exactly what you need at that exact time will just show up. Um, so, for me, I, I think the ultimate goal of AI and speech recognition is for you not to ask anything.
0: You have an industry that you think is going to be affected by AI or augmented intelligence, however you look at that people are not thinking about.
1: For me, it's more about taking it to places where it doesn't exist yet. You know, it's really about democratizing access to anything and making it so simple that people, you know, can leverage it everywhere. The, the other piece of augmented intelligence is this. I don't need them to be AI experts. I need them to be experts in the things that they do well. Right. So it's, You know, so many times, if I I think about what's happened uh, before AI and after, you know, before AI, a relative few of us, you know, uh, were trained as scientists, engineers, mathematicians, and we learned how to speak like machines. We would write computer programs, algorithms, uh, and the like, and it was closed off to normal folk having access to information and and all of the benefits that come uh, from that in terms of uh, wage increases. the intelligence age turns that around. With the power of natural language, it democratized access to that same level of intelligence for everybody else that can do their jobs. If you look through the pandemic, holy smokes, it didn't take long for us to put who? Caregivers on a pedestal. People that work you know to, to deliver us food and, and postal workers and the like to realize that, oh wow, our life is actually in three dimensions Uh, In reality, and we need food, water, medicine, and all these other things that, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, weren't exactly highly valued from folks until they realized that they were uh, a pretty critical piece of the Maslow hierarchy.
0: Do you have a skill or something that you think is going to be critical for people to be successful as the economy continues to adopt these technologies going forward?
1: I think it's that adaptation. You know, people that worry about their jobs like, oh, my gosh, are middle managers going to disappear? No. But the middle managers that don't know how to use AI are going to disappear. Just like the middle managers that didn't know how to use mobile, the middle managers that didn't know uh, learn how to use computers. Right. So it's going to be very targeted. And I'm not just you know saying that to middle managers. The people that get disrupted are the ones that don't adapt and use the new tools uh, a- at hand. That's a very simple prediction, whether, you know. You know, you're a nurse, a doctor, a banker, a lawyer, whatever. It's relatively easy to predict whether you're going to make it or not on on whether or not you know you're adopting uh, these new tool sets to your workflows. And the people that tend to make it, right, and and still have careers and, and until their retirement, tend to be the ones that look at, hey, this iPad's interesting. Hey, this AI is interested. This mobile is interesting. Oh, this e-signing thing is interesting, and they tend to absorb it and get more efficient. Why? Because they can do ten times more work than their, their competitor, and sooner or later their a competitor, uh, competitor atrophies and just falls falls apart.
0: I'm going to switch gears a little bit and ask you a series of questions that get into your mindset. You've given us some great perspectives, but let me get a little more specific. Do you think that your success has come more from avoiding failure or embracing failure?
1: I don't. I don't even think of failure at all. It just doesn't exist. It's just. I want to build a product, and and you know to your point, I think what's uh, you know beautiful about the work that you've done is is walking in the footsteps of, of Edison in some ways. Where people think that like there was this magical moment where the light bulb just started working, it's like no, there was the whole optimization step of it works for a day, now it works for two days, then it works for three days, then it works for four, days, then a week, and two weeks, because they had to have a whole process for continually replacing these things as they burned out, right? everybody thinks that something just magically uh starts working and it doesn't so people have to be passionate about what they do and then tend to it like bonsai trees uh, that mr miyagi would prune right those are the people that end up making it you have your your tree it's infinite it's always growing and you're there and you're at peace tweaking it and making the best ai the best light bulb the best you know uh medicine so on and so forth Those are the people that end up uh, making it when they when they find peace, always, you know, working their art.
0: So what do you think is more important to the success of your team, embracing a culture of brutal honesty, even if it makes people uncomfortable or creating an environment of psychological safety where you actually adjust the conversations to, you know, frankly, focus on comfort and avoid confrontation?
1: I think it's a combination of both. I mean, you know, there's there's certain things um, that if because you have such a varied team, right? Uh, you know, if you have children and you and it's going to be difficult for you to make the mortgage that month, do you really tell the children that or not? Or do you let them continue working on their homework, you know, in, in order to achieve the grades? And and here's my evidence of that. Elon Musk didn't tell, uh, you know, um, you know. In hindsight, said, "Oops, we were 30 days from f- going out of business if we didn't ship the Model 3." Now he happens to be a type of person where I can see that he's more brutally honest and he's quick to replace people uh, and what have you. I try not to agitate people uh, too much. I think you kind of have to find the places where you need, you know, brutal transparency. Hey, we need to do this by X date, and this is what it means if we don't hit this target. And the rest of the time. Um, you know, you don't want people paranoid and running in all directions and fearing for things. They want to feel like there's a steady hand and, and you're guiding them towards uh, certain uh, goals.
0: So next question, if you were going to describe how you approach a problem, would you say you are more likely to be someone who thinks outside the box, builds a better box, or sets the box on fire?
1: That's, a, that's an interesting one i don't i don't see a box i think it's it's an intuitive feel like you're making something that doesn't exist right because look if there's a great engineer a great scientist out there a great business person working on something i'm not going to recreate the wheel you know they they're they're an expert they have a great team they have funding uh behind it as well you know i I wish them well and and, and and i'm looking for them to invent that thing because it's going to be valuable to the community. Personally, if I work on it, it's because I feel like our team can build the best version of that thing that we're, we're building. And right now, you know, we have top accuracy relative to Amazon, Google, blah, 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 right, right up and down the line. And that makes me feel like we've earned our place, you know, in, in the ecosystem. And, and, and here's what I even tell some, you know, rather large customer prospects. I'm like, if I didn't know that we were in first place, I wouldn't be able to look you in the eyeball and you shouldn't be talking to me and i'd be the first one to tell you you shouldn't be talking uh, to me i'm not going to show up and and try to you know shell you you know a second place or third place uh solution because it's it's stupid for me to do that i i can't you know i i'm not a salesperson that way i'm going to show up because this is the best engineering solution to this uh problem that money can buy and that's why when entrepreneurs approach and say hey you know um, I want to start this company, I wanna do this, I wanna do that, what do you think? I'm like, it doesn't matter what I think. You know, or you know, are you gonna take that leap forward where you know that you're this person to deliver that and 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 if ninety-nine investors tell you no, that you would keep going. Because it may take you 99 no's until you get a yes, everybody forgets Bezos and Benioff and the rest of these big cats in the industry, the Google folks you know, they, they got lots of doors slammed in their face, but they kept going, right? That's why, because they knew from the inside out that they had something.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I think there's also something to the, when the door gets slammed in your face and you have to make a choice to keep going, I think you're building up if resilience is the right word or that that's actually something you acquire. And that if you never face that, um, there's going to be moments later where, uh, it, it, it could come back to hurt you. I think that it's actually an important part of the process is to go through that struggle because you gain some muscle memory that's critical in those times when, okay, now I really need this to keep going. So if you're evaluating talent for your current team, what are the one or two must-have characteristics that you're looking for?
1: Um, look, the, the number one thing is, do they love what they do? I mean, it, I know it's simple and it sounds so cliche and stuff like that. You know, We're, we're not a group for mercenaries. You know, hey, this is kind of neat. Carpetbaggers, you know, there's a lot of money in tech and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I want to join a startup to do X, Y, and Z. This isn't the place for you because sooner or later you'll say, hey, this isn't worth it. This is, uh, you know, a lot of hard work. And, or if you generally don't love uh, love this thing, you know, the, the, the teams that we tend to collect around ourselves. You know door working with each other and a door making that thing uh, uh that they're making and you can see it in their handiwork you know sort of like you know that that story from uh uh from long past where uh steve jobs for forced people to braid the cables inside of max and then people push back why would you do that you know nobody's ever going to look at the inside of these things as we screw these things tight and then he's like i'll know so I stare at things, right? And our team stare at the things. We braid the cables inside of our AI. Nobody looking inside of it will ever see anything sloppy, stupid, mistrained, shortcuts, or anything of that sort. It it's what people expect. You know, you're gonna you're gonna show up here expecting the French laundry of AI. You're not showing up for um, you know, for McDonald's.
0: So what advice do you have? For someone who's listening, who's an aspiring entrepreneur,
1: um, the the number one thing you can do is find somebody that's already done it. You know, as as a mentor, right? They're not going to be able to give you a, a recipe per se. But what they will be able to do is tell you all these stories like, hey, this is how I find found you know my initial team members. Hey, th- these are the right attorneys to use. Hey, you know, here are some of the pitfalls. Be careful how you structure this. You know, five years later, I realized that this was important or that was important. Hey, let me wire you into potential uh, advisors. Hey, go ahead and pitch these investors first to gain some experience. Then you can go to these. Then you can go to um, uh, these it's it's all of these things and 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 by the way that doesn't come from one person you'll interact with it'll it'll come from dozens of people that you'll uh, interact with before this uh, this company was even incorporated there was what eight solid months of of uh, of discovery you know talking to my peers you know talking to potential customers potential partners potential uh, financiers potential attorneys potential, um, you know, accountants and bankers and everything in between to continue looking at this from all these different directions and stress test it and say, yeah, I have a high degree of confidence this is
0: going to fly. So before we wrap up, is there something you wish we would have talked about or you want to add before we uh, bring this to a close?
1: I think from, uh, you know, from my standpoint, non-linearity is the name of the game. And and this is a little bit counterintuitive to the way that many of us were trained in engineering school where somebody says, hey, here's the problem. And then here's step one and step two, then step three in terms of how to uh, solve that. What I've what I've noticed is um, uh, I think there was a science fiction film uh, here recently that had uh, linguists did a fantastic job where they made a circular language. Uh, In many cases, that was essentially a feedback loop because of the way that the organisms would uh, communicate. I think it was called arrival. And that's a better way to think about what you're going to experience is non-linearity. The fact that you're going to learn something from this customer, from this investor, from this staff member, from this other person, from this media person, something that you've read, some piece of artwork that you've uh, experienced and you just keep do- going day by day and then these two things end up clustering together and then you can take that and move it in there and now you know how to solve this but unfortunately you know how to solve something that's actually step three you still have to solve st- uh, step one and step two and it's and it's constantly putting these pieces together like almost like a, uh, i'm gesturing here like minority report and then and then you have your mvp and then you just keep keep uh, uh, adding to it. Now, when you're adding to it, you're doing two two things as well. You know, half your life is talking to customers and partners, where they're telling you what requirements they want uh, to add. And then the other half, I'm sorry, you're still at the center of this creative process. You're going to have to dream up things that nobody asks for, that you know are going to be disruptive and, and 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 things of that sort, because nobody asked for an iPod, nobody asked for Tesla nobody asked for amazon to show up right these these are people that dreamt these things that where you didn't know that you needed that uh that service and yet they combine these things uh uh, together in order to deliver to you so just trust that you know everybody thinks that there's a recipe do the stuff that that's predictable at the same time you're just gonna have to fill in the blanks in the same way that in jurassic park there would have been no dinosaurs unless they injected frog DNA.
0: That is a great analogy. Um, And I also noticed that we clearly... uh W- we grew up at the same time and watched all the same movies i'm just laughing because every one of those i can picture every scene you've talked about and uh hopefully for those who might be a little bit younger if you haven't watched most of those movies those are all worth watching so um eager i want to thank you this has been incredible i really appreciate your insight and perspective uh i you know you've shared some just some great wisdom that hopefully will encourage others to go generate some wisdom of their own so thanks again for being on the show thanks for having me chuck Thanks to Igor for joining me on today's episode and sharing some of the incredible lessons that he has learned through his impressive entrepreneurial career, including this idea. Nonlinearity is the name of the game. Nobody asked for an iPod. Nobody asked for a Tesla. Somebody had to combine these different things together in order to deliver. We want to thank all of you who have embraced this show and helped us grow our audience so far. And while we're proud of our success, we're just getting started and hope that you will tell your friends about the show. We would also really appreciate it if you would take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Please note that we have additional resources available on our website at innovatorsontap.com. Thanks for joining us on this journey and let's go change the world.